We'll be looking together at uh, Colossians chapter 3, uh, verses 1 to 17 today, but uh, it'll take a little while to get back to that, but uh, I will get back there. Uh, we'll look at a few things as we, as we lead up to that. I think it's great that uh, we have these holiday times that help us uh, provide uh, time to remember and to look back and to see what God has done. Uh, in uh, youth class, we've been looking through the Truth Project, and we've just been covering a section on history. And that's one of the things that we see in history is, uh, you know, without history, you, you lose sense of your identity, you lose sense of gratitude and obedience, and, and, it, uh, and we develop a very myopic view. Everything around, revolves around us. So uh, it's important that we, we see uh, what else has gone on around us in the world and, and especially in God's working in history and, and uh, also in, in the church. So we're going to, to look at this. We, uh, a while back, I guess, we've, we've talked about it, and we, each year as we have the Seder, it's a, it's a time of remembrance, a time of remembrance of God's deliverance of his people. Uh, we talked about the Feast of Booths a while back. Drake uh, brought some pictures and things of that on a Wednesday night that kind of helped us see uh, this remembrance of a time of temporary dwellings in the, in the life of Israel. In, uh, in the life of the United States, our Forefathers had the, uh, the desire to have a time of, of thanksgiving, and uh, that has been passed down to us. I think it's a good time uh, for something to focus on that takes our, our view away from acquisition. And, uh, you know, now, modern U.S., we've developed Black Friday. Uh, I think it uh, doesn't go so much against godliness with contentment's great gain, but uh, let's so let's we'll, we'll just skip over Black Friday and we'll look at uh, at, at another message on Thanksgiving. Um, last week, Drake led us in a look at uh, Chronicles and, and some of the things that happened in the Old Testament, where God uh, provided for the needs to build the temple and and uh, He was recognized. and And we'll move to the New Testament today and look at how. Paul reaches out to the church at Colossae and reminds them of what God has done for them and, and things that will produce thankfulness. Now, throughout the book of Colossians, you'll see several admonitions to, uh, to be thankful. And we'll just focus on the ones that are in, in chapter 3 there, but we'll touch on some of the others as we go by um, in, in, as part of the introduction. So let's just read together the passage uh, in chapter 3, verses 1 to 17, and then we'll, we'll pray after that. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, for Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things in the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. In the which ye also walked some time, when ye lived in them. But now you also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you've put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is in all and in all, is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindnesses, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also ye are called in one body, and be thankful." And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. 
And whatsoever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for your word that gives us so much truth and guidance on how to live and so many reminders of, of your great love for us. Help us to hear what you want us to hear in this passage and to, to be ready to receive it. And pray that you would just use this time and you would be honored in, in what we say and do here. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's think about this a little bit. So I want to just give you a little bit of a, a geographical, historical perspective on, on the book of Colossians. Um, you may remember a, a while back when we were in, in the book of Revelation, Drake kind of laid out where some of these, see if I can point the right way, some of these uh, places are in Asia Minor. Asia Minor, uh, modern-day Turkey. And out along the Aegean Sea, we talked about some of the cities that are mentioned in chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Revelation. We talked about Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamon. They're kind of all along the coast there. And then as you, as you head further inland, you get to Thyatira and Philadelphia and Laodicea. And Laodicea is in, in there along the Lycus River. Uh, this is not far from where Colossae is. This is what the where the church that Paul's writing to here. Uh, it's a kind of a, an area about 100 miles east of Ephesus, and it was along that Lycus River. There was uh, uh, some trade and, and travel and along that. I think at some point Colossae became kind of a little more of a byway town than, than some of the others, but it was there that this church had been founded. Now, Paul had never been there personally. We can see that... Um, by looking in chapter 2, verse 1. But it, look, it appears that uh, it was Epaphras that established the church. Colossians chapter 1, verse 7 says, As ye learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. Um, he was also, it sounds like, a, a native Colossian. Uh, in Colossians four twelve, it says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. So this letter's off to the, to the church at Colossae. It's not a church that Paul has visited, but it's a church that he's aware of and he has a, a great love for. I mean, one of the things you always seems very common in, in Paul's letters is he writes, it's, uh, you see that he, he, he hears of these churches or he knows of these churches and he prays for them and he's thankful for what uh, the Lord has done in them. And it's, uh, it's not a casual one-time prayer. I think it, it sounds like it's a continue aspect, continual aspect of Paul's life to, to pray for these folks. And it's, this is no exception with this church here. And it's primarily a Gentile church. It says in uh, chapter 1, where in verse 25, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God's going to me to fulfill the word of God, even to the mystery that has been hid from the ages and from generations, but is now made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches and glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Paul's saying this wasn't always the case. The, the, in the Old Testament, obviously, the focus was on Israel. This was a mystery uh, somewhat that, that, that the Gentiles would be part of the church. But now that's what's happening, and that's what's going on in Colossae, and it's primarily a church made up of Gentiles. I'm sure there were some Jewish people there, but uh, it seems that the bulk is, is Gentile. Uh, what else about the church? What else about Colossae? Um, can, there's another verse that, that kind of reinforces the, the Gentile aspect of it. It says, You being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. And so we think this letter was probably written, so again, Gentile nature, but we think it was probably written in the early 60s, 61, 60, 61, 62 AD, uh, you know, some 30 years after. Uh, the, the crucifixion, resurrection, almost. And uh, it wasn't too long after that that there was an earthquake in, in Colossae, and the town was rebuilt, but uh, this, is, this is leading up to that. So we have a, a few years of the church life that has, has gone by up to this point. Uh, Christ has been resurrected. Uh, the gospel has started to spread. Uh, 
But we also recall as you look into these various letters to these churches, not only has the gospel starts to spread, but then there's also other things that start to creep into the church. And this is why Paul writes a lot of the letters to address different concerns that are, uh, are popping up. And uh, this, is, this is no exception. Um, there's similar things that are written in, in some of the other uh, epistles to the different churches. Ephesians has some similar passages. Ephesians is primarily, though, focusing on how does the church operate. He tells us about he gives some of his pastors and teachers and the, the offices or the, the way that the church will be organized and, and that kind of thing. Colossians is more focused on the preeminence of Christ. He says, look, he says, there's things that are creeping into the church that are starting to, to take away from uh, the focus on Christ, and uh, he's going to deal with that. It's lit, written in the typical style that Paul writes of a letter of the day. There's an introduction in the first 14 verses. There's this body of the letter that goes from chapter 115 on to chapter 4, verse 6, and then a conclusion. And all the stuff that uh, we're interested in today are, is in with the, within this body of the letter. And the body of the letter can kind of be divided up into two sections. One that's mostly kind of the, establishing the doctrinal truth that's going to be focused on, and then starting in where we're starting, verse 3, he starts doing the, the practical application of this doctrine. Uh, we'll, we'll capture a little bit of the, the stuff leading up to that as we go through here in the introduction. But uh, mostly what we're going to see is, is how... Do we practically apply some of these truths that Paul has, has laid forth in the first couple chapters? Um, and so we see that um, the, he, he's in chapter 1, he's kind of helping them understand the importance or the preeminence of Christ. And I'm going to read a couple of verses for you here. Um, actually, I'm going to read a few verses because... As you see in some of Paul's writings, there's a lot of things strung together verse after verse. Some of these sentences are quite long. But just to give uh, some foundation to this, let me just read Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. And um, I think this kind of helps us to see what the intent of the letter was. It says, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. There's the one first admonition to give thanks. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have for all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of truth and of the gospel, which has come unto you as it is all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you, since the day you heard it and knew the grace of God. In truth, as you have also learned of Epaphras, our fellow servant, who is faithful minister to you of Christ, and who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. This is, uh, as I was referring to, you know, Paul has the, the habit of, of praying for these folks in these different churches. Um, that you may walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. Another admonition to give thanks in verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So he wants to remind them right out of the, out of the shoot here what has happened to them. They've been redeemed. They've been made meet or suitable to be presented to the Father by Jesus Christ, by his death on the cross, by what he's done, he's translated them into the kingdom. And that's what uh, he wants to put back in the, in the central focus of the church there at Colossae. Uh, the, the church was beginning to be attacked by these kind of deluding threats, I'd say. You know, it wasn't that the, the truth was completely expelled, but it was these other things were kind of getting mixed in. I guess with the word we would use, you know, in the theological sense was syncretism. There's this mixing of truth and error that uh, 
that seemed to be happening. Um, in chapter 2, verses 16, 17, we see kind of a legalistic assault that was going on, uh, probably Jewish uh, in nature. There was, this was uh, what was being addressed in, in Galatians. It says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or drink in respect to any holy day or in new moon or Sabbath days, which are a shadow of the things to come, but the body is of Christ. So there was that aspect, the legalistic aspect. And uh, we move down a couple of verses, we'll also see there's this kind of mystic element that was coming in, a worship of, of angels and, and so forth, uh, distractions from the, the head of the body. There's also, uh, looks like some, some tendency toward Gnosticism, which is, you know, a movement that preferred knowledge over, over the orthodox teachings and uh, the authority of, of what the Bible had to say. Uh, so let's look at chapter 2, verses 18 19. It says, Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head which, from which all the body by joints and bands have nourishment ministered and knit together and increaseth with the increase of God. So he says, don't get distracted with these things. Focus on the head of the church, which is Christ, and let him provide the nourishment, provide the direction, provide the, the truth, that, and don't be uh, taken away by, oh, hey, we have a new truth. We have something that's a little, uh, you know, we understand something you don't understand. I think there's, you know, that danger exists today. Actually, I think all these dangers exist today. But uh, we see that people want to kind of have an upper hand in, in, in an intellectual way, if you will. Uh, say, hey, we know something that you don't know. You're just kind of behind the times here. You're following these old truths. But uh, that was going on in Colossae. And then there was this attack uh, in the next couple of verses of chapter 2 related to asceticism. This is the strict practice of self-denial. Say, oh, I'm not going to eat this. I'm not going to taste this. And, and it kind of has this... Uh, you know, this look of, oh, wow, this person is really disciplined. But it's, uh, it's, God's made, us, made things for us to enjoy. Uh, it, there's nothing uh, that's going to gain favor with God by, uh, by doing some of these things. So verses 20 to 23 say, Wherefore, if you be dead in Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to, to ordinances, touch not, taste not, handle not? which all are to perish without, with the using, and after the commandments and doctrines of man, which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship, in humility, in neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. So kind of summarizing what's there in chapter 2, um, there's dangers in thinking that knowledge is superior to Christ, and thinking that adherence to the law will bring us closer to God, uh, also in thinking that there are better mediators between God and man than Christ, and then also in thinking that abstaining from things will earn us favor with God. And the, the, the big danger or the summary of all these things is all these approaches are implying that Christ's work was insufficient. We found a better way, something beyond what Christ has done, and there is nothing beyond what Christ has done that's going to earn us uh, our favor and our reconciliation with God. Um, that's, that's the background that we, we come into chapter 3 with. The church has been assaulted by these uh, this various false teachings. And Paul is uh, reminding them on what they stand. They stand on Christ. He's refuted the false teachings. It's threatening to take away their attention. And now he's focused them back on Christ. And he's going to describe, okay, now that we know this is what your life is built on, this is what's transformed you, what does that look like? How's that going to be lived out? And this is where we get into the, the practical aspect uh, of, of Colossians chapter 3. Um, now, in the, uh, in the bulletin there, the, the notes, the, the, the headings that we gave is Paul now makes the connection. He's going to give what's been established in the first two chapters, and we're going to see the characteristics of our new life in verses 1 to 4. We're going to think, see the things that should be put to death and put off in, in verses 5 to 9. And we're going to see the things that have changed or what we now put on in verses 10 to 14. And finally, we'll wrap up with 
what we have to be thankful for in verses 15 to 17. Sorry. Um, So as we go into a little more detail, uh, what are the characteristics of a new life? In in verse 1 it says, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. He reminds us of the, and also the Colossians, of their new position. You know, and that's a, a thing that we guess we, we can easily lose sight of. We can become distracted by what's going on around us and not to keep our minds set in what, where we have been put. We've been reconciled with God, as it said in one of the earlier verses. Romans 6 gives us a, an explanation. That says, then we were buried with him in baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also we should walk in newness of life. For if we had been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness of his rex- also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, and the body of sin may be destroyed, that henceforth we should no more serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. And now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died for sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive unto God through Christ Jesus our Lord. And uh, in in chapter 2 of Ephesians, we often think of, you know, 8 and 9, where it says, By grace are you saved through faith. Leading right up to that, it says, uh, for the ages, uh, let me start in verse 6, and hath raised us up together to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. So we're in a new position. We're in a, in a position that's drastically different from where we were before. If you think about uh, uh, without Christ, we have no hope of eternity in, in with God. We have no hope of, uh, of reconciliation. There's nothing we can do to, to bring ourselves into good standing. But Christ has done the work. And so going back and reminding ourselves in verse, it says, well, If we're risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Now there's something to consider here also is, are we risen with Christ? If we're not resting in Christ, if we're not relying on that salvation that he's provided, uh, then we need to think about that. We need to, to understand that we don't have these, uh, this new position if we don't have Christ. It's Christ that brings us uh, to this new position. It's him that we're risen with. If we are not with him, we're not risen. We're lost. We need a salvation of, that Christ only provided. We'd be happy to talk about that with you afterwards if, uh, if that's your state, but it's important that you understand and that you know that, that the salvation is in Christ only. So this is a, a, a position different from our old man. It's a position that we owe to the preeminence of Christ and his grace towards us. The Colossians and we were dead to sin and now we're alive to God, so we should live like it. And that's where the rest of this uh, section goes on. He exhorts them as to what should be the focus of their pursuits. In verse, uh, verse 1, we see, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Uh, similar to where, uh, where Christ says in Matthew 6, 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. So the word seek. Now as a seek, you know, we, we, we talk about seeking sometimes, and, and this is not a, you know, you're out looking for something. You're out looking under the bush to see if it's there. You know, I was looking for a tool the other day that I was sure was in my garage somewhere. I'm not sure I've found it yet, but it's, you know, this is not what this is talking about. This is not a seeking as in looking for. This is a striving to obtain. This is a, a not a, again, again, it's not a works salvation but it's you've been granted this you should keep uh, working toward it you should let this rule in you you should seek the things that are above because that's where God has has directed us he's changed our 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 affections if you will 
We're not walking around with our heads down, or we shouldn't be, seeing only the mess around us. I mean, if you sit there and watch the news every day, um, and you see what's happening in the world around you, you see the rejection of the truth, as, as George mentioned some in, in, as he was praying, and uh, you can get distracted, you can get uh, discouraged, right? Um, but we're to seek those things which are above. doesn't mean you can't keep up with what's going on, but I think you have to be a little careful how much you absorb. Uh, I worked with a guy a while back, and he, uh, he got laid off, and he, you know, he said so he'd get up in the morning, and he'd turn on you know, one of the news networks, and he'd just kind of have it going on you know, as he was going about his day. He says, man, after a few days of that, I, I had to turn that off. He says, that was more than I could handle on an all-day basis. Um, I think this, this, is, this is true. And we, uh, we need to seek those things which are above. We need to be heavily minded. And there's, uh, you know, some people say, well, you don't want to be so heavily minded that you're of no earthly good. I don't think we're at too much risk of that. Um, I mean, we, we uh, obviously know that we're constrained and we live in this world, but I think that the point is, is we need to have our, our thinking directed by what God says in his word. It's where Christ sits at the right hand of God. Uh, this should make this more dear to us. You know, if you have a, a friend or a family member or somebody uh, that lives in a different place, you, you often kind of have an interest about that place, right? We have two daughters that live in, in South Carolina and one that lives in Virginia. Well, we're kind of a little more interested in South Carolina and Virginia than we used to be. You know, what's going on there? What's the weather like? What's, uh, what's the, the political climate there? What, uh, you know, what is, what is happening? Um, and you think about, too, if you have a loved one that's passed away and they've, they were saved and they uh, are in heaven, it makes heaven a little more real. It's a place that uh, you know you're going to go someday if you're a believer, but uh, having knowing that you have those that you've loved that have gone ahead, I think it, uh, it gives you a, a more of an affinity. Um, so that, with that in mind, we're going we're gonna to set our affections, we're going to place our affections, we're going to focus our minds on things above. We get down to verse uh, 2, and let's see. And it says, And set your affections on things above, not on the earth. So we're not going to be as bound to what's going on on the earth. We talked a little bit about that with the news. And then you go on, verse 3, it says, For you're dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. So, as we get to this point, um, we want to, uh, ideas that, is that we're going to concentrate and, and, and savor those things. And it's not just a passing, passing thought. Our life's hid with Christ. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, we'll appear with him in glory. Our choices to, uh, that we're, is going to affect how, how we live, how we think. Uh, we're going to, those things that used to have a lot more pull on us, because we're dead, we're freed from those. Uh, doesn't mean that we don't ever sin, but it uh, should. We should see that we have uh, greater victory because of Christ. He says, Paul reminds us that the old man's dead, and its its affections are dead, and the lure of the world is is becoming more minimalized. And now we are hidden with Christ and God. We don't stand on our own. We're uh, and we're kind of a mystery to those around us in many cases. They don't understand. You know, and sometimes people say, oh, well, yeah, don't you want to go do this? And it's like, no, not really. I mean, uh, and it's, it, they don't understand because they, they don't have Christ and uh, their, their affections are, are here below. Uh, they're not dead to those things. The, 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 some of the, the sins of the world have a greater pull on the people around us than, than hopefully they do on us. 1 John 2 talks about love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man have the love of the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is, of the, is not of the Father, but of the world. The world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Paul urges us uh, in verse 4 not to only look upward but to look forward it says when Christ who is our life shall appear then we shall appear with him in glory so we're looking up we're seeing that uh, our affections are there but we're also looking forward this is a an eternal perspective 
that uh, we're going to appear with Christ. And that uh, uh, when, uh, when he returns, it talks about we'll be like him. We shall see him as he is. Uh, and so we, uh, as his children, are impacted by the, the present position and the thinking of his children as well as their future, future role and relationship with him. You know, we're, we're, we're not, uh, this isn't just a one-time thing that, you know, kind of realigns our thinking and we go on about things, but we're looking forward to where this is taking us long-term. Now, if we look in, in the next section, this is where we see what, we're, what we are to put to death and what we're to, to put off. And so um, we'll see that in, in verses 5 through 9. It says, Mortify, therefore, the, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and the covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which... You also walked some time, and you lived in them, when you lived in them. But now, you also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, lie not one to another, seeing that you've put off the old man with his deeds. So, there's, there's two kind of uh, illustrations or metaphors, I guess, that Paul's using here, you kind of see. One is the idea of, of death and life, and we've, we've seen that a little bit, so we're dead to these things, we're going to find out that we're alive to other things. The other is the idea of kind of putting off a, a garment and putting on a new garment. Now, have you ever been out working in the yard or digging holes and now you, maybe you're down in a hole and you're all muddy and, and you're sweaty and you've got stuff all over you and it sure feels good to take, go and take a shower and put on some clean clothes, doesn't it? Like I think it does. You know, so this is the, kind of the idea. We can have a, an old putrefied garment on us and we're going to Put that aside. We're going to put on something new. And that's kind of what happens as we're, as we're going. Um, Thomas Constable says, To put something to death is never pleasant. It's not the same as practicing asceticism. This is what we saw in the earlier passages where we're going to not eat, not touch, not do this. However, asceticism says that I, by my own will, can subdue the flesh by simply denying its desires. Christian self-control says I can subdue the flesh by relying on the Holy Spirit to empower me to deny its desires. So rather than say I'm just going to do this by sheer uh, willpower, what we're relying on is the Holy Spirit is helping us as we put off these old things and as we put on the new. And in this new state where we are, we're dead to the flesh and alive in Christ, we have some aligning to do. We need to review how we spend our time in our mental bandwidth, what we think about. And this is, I think, uh, probably where the real, you know, it, it's easy to see where people spend their time. You know, you can look at their checkbook and see where they spend their money, and you can kind of get an idea of what's important. Now, what we're thinking about or what we're occupying our mind with is a little more subtle, right? I mean, I certainly can't tell what you're thinking about. You probably can't tell what I'm thinking about unless we do something obvious that discloses it. But this is important. And... Um, he lists off a, a number of, of, of sins. Most of these uh, are, are fairly outwardly visible, but there's uh, and, and I won't spend a lot of time on these because you know I think we can we can auger into all kinds of filth and nastiness that's going on, and I think it's important that we identify and see what they are. But I don't want to to wallow in it. Uh, he lists fornication, which is sexual immorality, the, the word porneia, uh, we kind of see where that's associated with. Uncleanness is impurity or physical or moral, moral impurity. Inordinate affection is a passion or a lust or an uncontrolled illegitimate desire. Uh, evil concupiscence is an evil desire reaching out for something forbidden in order to satisfy ourselves. Covetousness is greed. And then it says these are idolatry because they seek to satisfaction uh, in things that are below instead of things above, instead of through God. So the common thread that uh, all these things are they're seeking to satisfy ourselves rather than to bring glory to God. If we're spending our time, spending our thought life, spending uh, our life seeking to please ourselves then uh, and, and not worrying about what we can do to bring glory to God, we're we're off track. Um, and in verse 6 it says, They bring the wrath of God. Typically a, team, a term that's reserved to tribulation, 
But the idea is that this is, this is an already done judgment. This isn't, well, maybe it'll work out, maybe it won't. You know, there's a lot of people that kind of take that approach to life. Well, we'll see in the end. Hopefully I've done enough good things. Uh, well, we're, we're past the good things part here, but this is in the, the judgment of behavior. Is, the, the judgments, God's told us what, what we should do and what we shouldn't. So it's, a, it's, not, it's an already been determined thing. God's wrath is revealed against these sins. And, uh, and, and usually, the, I mean, the, the case is that these sins find themselves in somebody that, uh, that has not come to Christ. I mean, uh, like I say, there's the occasional sin, but if you're living in a, in a habit of all these type of things or these type of things, it's, it's an indication that, that Christ is not in you. Matthew Poole is an uh, English uh, nonconformist Presbyterian back in the 17th century, and he has some commentaries he's written, and uh, he's written against some of the, uh, the problems of the day, Unitarian was coming along and he, he pointed out some of the problems that were existing in the Catholic Church at the time. Um, he started writing these commentaries. He passed away before he finished them. Some of his friends picked up and the ones for Colossians were written by a guy named Richard Adams, but he's a similar, similar background. And regarding this, he says, especially remembering how the indulging or sparing of any of them will be dreadful consequences. See Ephesians 5, 6, where it says, For however they may be carnal men looked upon as little faults, which God will overlook, of course, yet they do certainly incur divine displeasure and will bring most inevitable judgments upon those who are unpersuadable, rebellious, and contumacious. I know I wouldn't be able to say that. So basically, what he's saying is these problems, these sins that we read about, they're going to bring about judgment. And it says, but the people that, as it goes on to say, the, who, would thought, who would be thought God's children and yet remain incorrigible. He says, this is, if we see this kind of behavior dominating a life, or if it's dominating our life, the one we should be most concerned about, then we need to check our, where our heart is. Are we really uh, saved by Christ, or are we just uh, kind of putting on the window dressing? Um, and then there's several passages he refers to, Ephesians 5, 6, Let no man deceive you with vain words, because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. There's a similar list leading up to verse 6. Um, and uh, you can see, see uh, similar things in Matthew 24 uh, and also in 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 6, verse 9. says, Know that the unrighteousness, the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators nor idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves with mankind. So God's judgment is passed on all these things. And... Um, and Galatians 5 also talks about those things after, after the leading up to the fruit of the Spirit there. So, um, these are things that uh, Paul also reminds them that they had been as, as uh, walking in in the past. And in verses 7 and 9 it says, and, and I think this provides a warning against pride. Sometimes we think, well, I don't live like that anymore. Well, you might have used to live like that, right? I mean, there's things that we have done that we probably never wish we never would have done and don't ever want to do again. I think the, the point is that it's our position that makes us risen with Christ is not the things that we've done that we've self-reformed. It's what Christ has done for us. And uh, so there's no, no point for us to be proud about uh, uh, our status. I think the other thing that it kind of helps us think about is it's not a... Uh, Something that we should be pining away for. You know, sometimes people say, oh, wasn't, weren't those fun times? We used to do this and we used to do that. And, uh, some of these things are not good things. I mean, we shouldn't be looking back with a, a you know, boy, I wish I could do that again. No, I think, uh, I think this is a reminder to move on and, and to move up. Colossians uh, 1.22 and 20, 21, 22 says, For you who were sometimes or once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled, and in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. So we're, 
we're talking about these things that are they're being put off. And he continues on in verses 8 and 9 and uh, another list of, of things that are, uh, but now we start seeing we're going to do the putting off of the old man with his deeds. Again, this is the changing the metaphor from the dead, things have died, and now we're taking the, the garment, we're putting it off the old man. And he talks about anger, chronic smoldering hatred, uh, wrath, or angry outbursts, malice, the Underlying forces of the anger and wrath, blasphemy, vilification against God, filthy communication out of the mouth. This is obscene talk or abusive speech, and lying, which is not fitting for those that worship the truth. John fourteen six. This goes out with the old man. All these things are are, are to be done away with. Um, and Romans thirteen talks about that the. That these things are, are no longer, says, we're to put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So, what's changed or what's been transformed? In verses 10 to 14, we see that we're a new man. We're going to put on the new man, which is renewed after the knowledge of the image of him that created him. Uh, it says, Paul introduces the man that uh, has been changed by Christ. He's a new man or a new self, he's not like the old. He's a product of the progressive sanctification that Christ is working in us. Uh, we should become becoming more Christ-like as we go. Uh, for this cause, it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, We faint not, though the outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Ephesians 4, 23 says, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, which is after God created in righteousness and true holiness. Uh, so the Christian is, is restored uh, by the Christian's conformance to the image of Christ and not bound uh, by ethnicity. We see in verse 11, it says, There's neither Jew, or excuse me, Greek nor Jew, circumcision, uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond, free, but Christ is all in all. So, you know, sometimes we want to get in our own little group of people that are like us and, and we want uh, to get a little more comfortable with that. Uh, Paul saying, you know, these, these distinctions are not part of the deal. Uh, we're one in Christ, whether we're Jewish, whether we're a Gentile believer, whether we're uh, circumcised, uncircumcised, whether we're bond or free. Now, these barbarians and Scythians, uh, what I understand is that the Scythians were the, they were the bad dudes. I mean, they were, uh, uh, barbarians were, were, not, uh, shall we say, educated. The Scythians were even more cruel and uh, uh, nasty dudes. Uh, but there, it says there's no distinction between them. They're bond or free. But Christ is in all, is, is all and in all. So he's, just, he's removed these distinctions. Um, and you see that again in, in Galatians chapter 3. Um, and so now he goes on, verse 12, and he says, it reminds them of their status in Christ. He says, they're elect, they're chosen by God, they're holy, they're set apart for God, they're beloved, they're cared for by God, and explains what should follow. They should have bowels of mercy, which is compassionate hearts. There's the, you know, the, the splanctum that you hear talked about. There's kindness, the acting benevolently, benevolently. humbleness of mind. Uh, <laughs> Philippians 2.3 says, Nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Meekness. There's a gentleness, a lowly attitude towards other, and long-suffering, the patience and self-restraint, and a steady response in the face of provocation. So there's a change, and there's something that's being put on. This is what the new man looks like. He has very different characteristics from the old man. Uh, he doesn't have the, the sin that we see dominating the life of, of us when we're not saved or those that are still lo locked in, skin, in sin. But we have these, uh, these other behaviors. And it's all brought about by those first few. They're elect. They're chosen by God. They're holy. They're set apart from God. And they're beloved. They're cared for by God. And that's what uh, drives this behavior. And says... Uh, John 15 says in verses 16 and 17, You've not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. And whatsoever you ask of the Father in my name, he 
may give it you. These things I command you that you love one another. Verse 13 goes on and it says, um, explains what, uh, what that does to our interactions with each other as Christians. Um, he gives us uh, for the idea that we're forbearing one another, forgiving. If any man have quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, you so do you also. So it uh, makes a big difference in how we behave. We're forbearing one another. We put up with each other. We're not always looking for something to be offended over. I don't know if you've noticed, but I think this seems to be the, the hobby of our, our culture in present times is to find something that we can be offended about, right? Excuse me. <clears throat> but it seems like this is the, uh, this is, <clears throat> social media I think is a, is a great outlet for people that are offended to, you know, go on about it. And, uh, and this is not part of, of, of our new life in Christ. We're not looking for something that somebody in the church has done that rubs us the wrong way. We're brought together. We're different people. Does it mean we're all going to be alike? Does it mean we're all going to like the same things? Does it mean we're all going to have the same skills or abilities, or same family backgrounds? But we're going to get along because we have this grace that God has given us. We're forbearing. Uh, we can forgive if, in case of a disagreement or a quarrel because we've been forgiven. We, we, uh, Christ didn't forgive us because we were such great guys, and, and, uh, but we were forgiven when we needed it. Uh, we should forgive freely. We should get, forgive generously, unreservedly, and graciously. And it's also that grudges don't have a, a, a place uh, in our life because it, it leads towards the bad behaviors that we saw previously. So <clears throat> Spurgeon says, What a model is set before us. How perfect is the spirit of love that we are to manifest. Even as Christ forgave others, what nobler pattern could have been chosen? Your Lord himself stands before you. You remember how he forgave you all your trespasses. And I am sure you will give earnest heed to his exhortation to forgive. May the dove-like spirit now brood over this assembly and create love in all our hearts. So Spurgeon says, we have the great example of Christ and let's see it work in us. And then Paul kind of ties it all back together in verse 14 with the idea of love or charity. He says, all, above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Perfectness, sorry. This is love, the agape love that desires what's best for the other person. And it's kind of a binder, a notebook, if you will, to file all these other good attributes in. It's what drives it. I mean, if we're just trying to, to behave the way has been described in the last few verses by sheer will, we're going to wear out. Um, but if we have the love of Christ, we have the Holy Spirit, that's what's going to fuel this kind of behavior. Uh, if we're just going to grit our teeth and try to make it happen, eh, look out. <laughs> so, what do we have to be thankful for? And we go into verse 15 through 17, and I, oh, I still have a few minutes, okay. He <laughs> um, says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you're called in one body and be ye thankful. So with this new position in Christ, with these things that have been put off, with the things that have been put on, uh, when we're dead to sin, alive to Christ, uh, it brings about a peace. We aren't struggling uh, with the things that uh, we used to struggle with. It says the, the peace of God, uh, in verse 15, he calls the Colossians to submit to the peace of God that's brought about by Christ. It says, let it control your heart. Don't be shaken on, by what's going on around you. you know, once you have this foundation of Christ and you have the, the, the truth that's been established in his word, we're a lot less worried about uh, what's happening, right? I mean, we, the, Drake reminded us, I think it was one of the songs we sang last week. It was written you know, in very dire times during the plague and wars and all kinds of things, and yet they were, they were urging them to be thankful. And then uh, 
you know, we, we've had it pretty soft in general. And uh, yeah, I think things are getting a little rougher for, for the church. Uh, we certainly saw in certain parts of the world uh, a few weeks ago we were praying for the persecuted church. And definitely it's, uh, there are areas of the world where it's very difficult for Christians. And we're starting to see that uh, ramping up, I think, around us too. But we can have peace. We can have peace because of Christ. And it says, let that peace umpire or decide what matter, decide the matters that you face. You know, it's going to control. The peace is going to rule in our hearts. Uh, we're going to become more like Christ. Then there should be a peace. We're not called to be constantly wrangling with each other. This kind of goes back to the forbearing and forgiving. Uh, we're not, uh, there's a peace within the body that is something that will make us thankful. I mean, when, when you're in a, an assembly or in a group of people, who are believers and, and there's this grace is extended to each other, it's a great place to be. I mean, you, you, you may have to go into a totally different kind of environment in your work life or, or maybe you have uh, extended family members that are difficult. And, uh, you know, that just wears you out after a while, right? I mean, you, you, you come home and you think, whew. Uh, <laughs> bubbles knows. <laughs> no, but... but uh, Anyways, this is, this is uh, something that we can be, be uh, freed from with the, the love of Christ. It, it gives us this peace that uh, exists with us and with other people. And that's a, it's a peace that's brought about by a life in Christ, and for, it's brought about for the glory of God. And the next thing that he talks about is the word of Christ. In verse 16 it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Uh, it, lives, it lives in us in an abundant way, and it controls our thinking. So it's the Word of God. And uh, I think this is just one of many good reasons to spend time in the Word of God each day. As you're reading it, as it's impacting your thinking, as it's saturating your mind, I mean, I think... Find I do a lot better if I'm putting more of that type of stuff in. If I get too much time to put other things in, uh, those things aren't helpful sometimes. As I think the Word of God saturates us and it helps us uh, think in the right way. As we read, study, listen, and apply the Bible, it provides wisdom. It's the basis for teaching and admonishing. Uh, put in mind the caution and, and, and to reprove gently. So you talk about nuthetic counseling. It's a, that's based on the, the Word of God about what the Bible teaches about various problems. Um, and then it also admonishes to uh, each of us to, to look in what uh, we're seeing through, through uh, psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, as opposed to, you know, you, you listen to some of the secular songs that are, uh, that are out there today, uh, they're not really helping you uh, focus on the, what's true and right. Um, and our singing is to be with grace, uh, the grace of God and with thankfulness. Okay, uh, Spurgeon also had something to say about this. He says, remember that Christ himself is the word of God. And also remember that the scriptures are the word of the word. They are the word of Christ. I think they will be all the sweeter to us if we realize that they speak to us of Christ, and he is the sum and substance of them, that they direct us to Christ. Remember also that the scriptures do, in effect, come to us from Christ. Every promise of this blessed book is a promise of Christ, for all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him are amen, unto the glory of God by us. 2 Corinthians 1.20, they all come through this, to us through Christ, God speaks them to us through him as the mediator. Indeed, we may regard the whole of sacred scriptures from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation as the word of Christ. So it's the word, where, uh, it's the peace of God that uh, we have to be thankful for, the word of God. And then finally, that we have the opportunity to represent Christ. It says, And whatsoever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. So, let's think about this. We're doing these things in the name of the Lord. Uh, 
It says, whatever we're doing, we're, we're doing, should be doing it in the name of the Lord. Now, let's think about this. Is, if there's something that you can't do in his name, is it probably a good thing to be doing? Probably not. And so I think this, this can help serve as a, as a filter. Um, you know, do I want to be in this place? Do I want to be saying this thing? You know, um, so we want to dictate, or we want our minds to be, in our lives to be filled with things that we can do in the name of Christ. Um, it says it's he that's enabling it and he's directing it and we should be doing it. We should be thankful to God and uh, for that's what he has done in us in Christ. It's in giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Okay, so we can be thankful that we can have the peace of God, that the word of God and that we can be doing things in the name of God. So, if we look at this, this whole passage that we've looked at today, then what, what are the takeaways, just in a, in a few words? Um, I think there's, a, there's a, a few things to think about. Uh, if you look at the, the book of Colossians as a whole, in general, and you, you see the, the, the threats that are coming at the truth through the, the things around there, I think there's, uh, Wiersbe says, uh, there's similarities in the problem faced by the church today. Uh, Jesus Christ may be prominent, but he's definitely not preeminent. We have to be, we have to be cautious, and I think uh, as a church we, we need to do this, that Christ isn't just something that we mix other things in with, and I, I think we make every attempt not to do that here, but it's, uh, it's, a, it's something to be on, on the lookout for. He also says this is the age of, of syncretism when people try to harmonize and unite many different schools of thought and come up with superior religion. Our evangelical churches are in danger of diluting the faith in their loving attempt to understand the beliefs of others. Mysticism, legalism, Eastern religions, asceticism, man-made philosophies are secretly creeping into churches. They're not denying Christ, but they're dethroning him and robbing him of his rightful place of preeminence. We need to be on our guard. So let's, uh, let's keep that in mind as, as we see. We, we can lead loving towards other people, but that doesn't mean we're going to incorporate uh, their belief system into, into what's really true. And then from our passage in particular, I think uh, we can praise God that we're not the man or the woman we used to be. We're changed. We're risen with Christ. We have a new life. Uh, or can we? If we're, if we're not saved, if we're not risen, or if we don't know that, then I think that's, we can thank God that this passage reminds us and, and calls us to consider that. Again, the, the, uh, the option, the opportunity is there. We'll be happy to talk with you about uh, be, Being risen with Christ should affect our lives constantly. And we shouldn't be looking longingly back to where we came from. We can put off the old man. We can let these things die that were sin. We can pick up the, the new life, the new garment, and, and it should, we can live in that. And then Christ's work gives us much to be thankful for. We can be thankful for his peace that brings about a settledness in our hearts. It brings about a look forward that is not concerned so much about what we see happening but it's a, it's a peace because we have a God that is sovereign, he's in control, and he's bringing about what he wants to bring about. We can be thankful for the word. Uh, the word of God is established. It's been, uh, and it gives us guidance. And another uh, thing we, we've talked about recently in our, in our youth class is that, you know, you look through documents or, or books uh, and how many copies exist and how close they are to the original writing dates. And you look at, you know, Homer's Iliad and, and a lot of these, you know, what we consider classic ancient books, and there's not very many copies going back very far. And they're not very close to the original date of writing. And the, the Bible has been incredibly preserved by, by God, and we can be thankful for that, that he's given us his word. He's giving us a, a book that tells us the truth and tells us uh, what he's done for us and how that can affect our lives. And then we can be thankful for his work and that we are able to be a part of that. When Christ redeems us and he puts us in a place where we can serve him 
And we can do that in our church right here. We can do that as we're out and about and uh, running into people at work or in our families or, or wherever. But we, uh, we can do all in the name of, of Christ. So we have much to be thankful for and uh, we have much to rejoice in. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have done this great work of redemption in our lives and that you've changed us and pray that you would just use us in, in our communities, in our families, and, and that you would just settle our minds and keep, help us to, to have a reliance on the peace that you provide, that we wouldn't be rattled by what's happening around us, but we, our trust would be in you, our peace would be from you. Uh, we our confidence would be in your word and that we would just uh, be a people that could bring glory to you. In Jesus' name.